and welcome to Warshore Bursting Perspectives, our continuing series of podcasts to help you understand key issues at the intersection of business and law. Today we will look at the application of freedom of information laws as they pertain to the construction industry. Our special guest is Jack Canry, chair of the construction law group at the New York-based law firm Warshore Burstein, and Jack is also a professional engineer. I'm Tom Merriam. And Jack, uh, why don't you just give us a quick overview as to why this is a critical matter? You would not necessarily associate freedom of information in construction. Well, I think, Tom, that uh, uh, as we all know, uh, in recent times in uh, federal, political, and congressional circles, uh, there's been significant discussion uh, about documents being obtained for investigations. Uh, and they were obtained and they will continue to be obtained through a statute known as the Freedom of Information Act. That's a federal law. There's state counterparts. Uh, in New York, there's one called the Freedom of Information Law that's used. Um, and it does have an application to the construction industry uh, for ongoing uh, projects in the public sector uh, where contractors can uh, obtain various documents and information uh, that can help them when there are issues and problems on ongoing projects that they might not otherwise have access to. It's under what generically is called the Sunshine Law, which was adopted years ago uh, by the federal and state governments uh, to enable not just contractors, but anybody in the public to um, obtain documents of interest uh, on uh, uh, public matters um, and, uh, but it, as I say, it does have a high application in construction. Why don't you give us an example of the type of information that one might be seeking in this industry? Well, uh, the best way I can uh, describe it, I guess, is um, uh, through uh, illustrative examples that I've experienced, which might be of interest to some of the listeners. Uh, first of all, at the federal le level, on one project that comes to mind, which was a Superfund environmental remediation project, a delay occurred uh, in uh, what's called backfilling operations with clean soil of what had been a highly contaminated area. And the delay uh, was apparently related to the use of a specified piece of compaction equipment, which appeared from the contractor's perspective to be outdated and not suitable. A dispute arose uh, as to whose responsibility it was to furnish the proper equipment, and um, we used the Freedom of Information Law to see what the federal agency had on file about this. And lo and behold, it turned out that um, uh, there was a, um, a headquarters office and a regional office for this particular agency and they were fighting with each other, blaming each other for the problem. Uh, and that internal skirmish really uh, pointed out that regardless of which office, it was the federal agency that was responsible for this issue, and that led to an early resolution of the claim. Now, not having those documents, we never would have known that. So that's an example on the federal side. How about on the state side? On the state side, uh, there have been a number of experiences. Um, uh, there was a state bridge rehabilitation project that I was involved with for the contractor, where the structure 
uh, spanned uh, over uh, operating railroad tracks. So that required, in, in, during the design phase, for the engineers to have access to determine the, the extent of deterioration of the bridge, uh, but they couldn't get access during the day because it was operating, uh, and they couldn't get what are called track outages uh, because the trains had to keep running. And so um, uh, we did a Freedom of Information um, uh, request because there was so, so much more deterioration that should have appeared obvious to the design engineer. I mean, there were areas of the steel you could have put your fist through. They were so rusted out, and they weren't called for rehabilitation. And it turned out the documents we got from Freedom of Information showed that the engineer, believe it or not, had to go there at night with flashlights from the tracks below to determine what the extent of the deterioration was. Rather incredible. But when that came to light and when I presented it... That literally claim, came to light. <laughs> ...in a claim setting, uh, it, it led to an early resolution. Um, another uh, example, which um, uh, I think would be interesting to the listeners on a state project, this was an arterial highway project uh, upstate. And the... Um, uh, Contract was the contractor was substantially delayed by the utility company in the area that wanted to put in new subsurface utilities. And often, utility companies like to try to use the contractor's trench to put their pipe and conduit in, and that was the case here, and that delayed the project uh, dramatically. The state took the position, tough luck, contractor. Um, uh, there's exculpatory language in that there's no, no damages for delay due to utility interferences. We did a freedom of information uh, law request on the state, and lo and behold, it turned out that the state and the utility company had extensive dialogue and writings uh, pre-contract, pre-construction contract, about this program the utility company contemplated but there was not a word about it in the bid documents. And so that misrepresentation, that holding back on the information, uh, was the key to the claim and, and led to a resolution. Again, in the absence of the Freedom of Information request, the contractor never would have known about any of that. They were as surprised as I was when we found this. Reminder that you're listening to Warshaw Burstein Perspectives, the podcast of the mid-sized New York law firm, Warshaw Burstein. We're talking today with Jack Canary. He's the chair of the construction law practice at Warshaw Burstein, where he's also a partner. We're talking about the application of freedom of information laws with regards to the construction business. And, Jack, you've talked about some of the positives there, but there are a few negatives, too, some drawbacks. Yes, there are. Uh, first of all, it's a very time-consuming effort. Uh, depending upon the particular government agency, you may have to go through thousands of documents to find a single kernel of gold, and you may not find it at all. Um, additionally, you are limited in terms of the kinds of documents you can obtain as compared to when you're in litigation. For example, if it's a final determination by an agency, it's fair game. On the other hand, they are very protective of internal 
pre-deliberation type documents that they don't want the public to know how they deliberate and they can exclude those things. But the main value of this exercise for contractors is they can obtain documents at an early point in time before any litigation or arbitration of any claims to determine whether they have a basis for uh, making a claim uh, without, you know, showing their hand at all. So that so there's, there's pros and cons. Just maybe talk a little bit different about public sector projects and private sector projects as they come into play here. Okay. Well, the private sector projects, unfortunately, do not come into play here because the freedom of information law is strictly for government agencies. So in the case of a private uh, project, uh, where a contractor has a, an issue or problem with the contractor, uh, with the, I'm sorry, with the owner, uh, developer, uh, they would probably have to go through the traditional litigation or arbitration with discovery and get documents that way, but they can't do it through the, uh, the Freedom of Information Law. Let's talk a little bit about uh, just the Freedom of Information as a research tool overall as you get into some of the projects. Well, in terms of the in terms of the procedure, uh, and uh, uh, it varies with agencies, whether it's federal, or state, or local. Um, uh, you would find out the appropriate office to uh, send a request to. Some of them require just a letter. Uh, others have uh, their own forms for this, and uh, they are required by statute to respond to you. Uh, generally in 30 days, but that turns out to be um, uh, more honored in the breach than it is uh, as an actual practice to get meaningful data in that time. That's one of the drawbacks too, that it takes forever sometimes to get these documents from them. Uh, and, uh, but if you do uh, get meaningful documents, it's, it often can be worth the wait. Once again, a reminder that you're listening to Washar Burstein Perspectives, the podcast of the New York-based law firm, Washar Burstein. Our guest today, Jack Canary, who chairs the construction law practice at Washar Burstein. He's also a partner there, also a professional engineer. And Jack, maybe you can talk for a second about how that background comes into play for you. Well, um, I, I started out as a, uh, a civil engineer in construction uh, and then went to law school at night after I got out of the military. Uh, and then decided to <clears throat> make the change. I was already a professional engineer as well, aside from three engineering degrees. Um, and I have found that um, uh, dealing with contractors, construction managers, engineers, architects, and owners in the construction industry, that they don't just view me as an attorney. They view me more as a launchman because of I had the engineering and construction experience, and so I can probably cut to the chase a little quicker than an attorney that ha not, has not had that background. And so it's extremely, uh, extremely helpful, and it, uh, it, it works very favorably uh, uh, generally with, uh, with the clients. Uh, the only drawback is that now I have to take the continuing education courses in both professions. 
<laughs> which seems I'm, I'm forever taking courses. On the other hand, you're on top of everything, too, right well, up to the we, minute. We try to. <laughs> we try to be. We've been talking, of course, about freedom of information laws with regards to the construction business. We've talked with some examples about federal and about state projects. Let's delve into the local area. Okay, I'm glad you asked that because um, one, one very interesting uh, case that I had a little while ago <clears throat> involved the construction of a, a deep shaft for a water tunnel uh, uh, project, large uh, shaft uh, uh, that they had to gain entry to, uh, to the water tunnel. And the construction work required the soil be frozen around the area that was being dug out for this shaft. And uh, the owner, the public owner, the municipality, furnished soil borings uh, with the contract documents. Um, and the contractor encountered uh, boulders, nests of boulders in the area where he had to drive these brine pipes down for the freezing. They didn't, weren't shown on the subsurface uh, borings, no boulders at all. Um, we did a freedom of information uh, request, a freedom of information law request, and we found that the owner had in its possession a different set of logs called the driller's logs. That's the guy that goes out and actually does the physical borings and gives a um, report to the engineer. The engineer is supposed to incorporate the driller's report in the subsurface boring reports. In this case, the driller's report showed the nests of boulders, but somehow they didn't make it to the subsurface boring logs that the contractor had, which would have made a vast difference in the bidding and the pricing and everything that went with it. And so that was a clear misrepresentation. And uh, it, it's something that uh, uh, in the construction industry, one may not normally think of that there are two sets of boring logs. One is the original drillers and what is the subsurface ones prepared by the engineer supposedly to incorporate. And that case settled very quickly uh, once they saw these original drillers logs that had the actual facts. And Jack Cannery, as we wind down on this podcast, uh, any parting thoughts on the subject of freedom of information? Well, clearly uh, not every contractor is going to be buttressed by uh, freedom of information uh, documents. And as we said before, the time and effort to get there can be very frustrating and sometimes futile. Yet, given the achievable results in cases like the ones I've cited, federal, state, local. Um, these requests, uh, coupled with the fact that they can be made at a point in time er, during the project, early in the project, before you even decide whether you have a claim, you want to pursue a claim, uh, but you can certainly start casting it with information there's no other way to obtain at that early date. No public agency is going to give you any such documents uh, out of the goodness of their heart. Uh, so it can be a very valuable tool in that context. 
Jack Henry, you gave us a lot of good information out of the goodness of your heart. Thanks so much for sharing the information about freedom of information laws as they pertain to the construction industry here on Washoe Bursting Perspectives. And one final question, Jack, how can our listeners reach out to you if they want to learn more? Well, they can feel free to email me at jcanry, K-A-N-N-R-Y, at wbny.com. Or they can phone me. My direct line is 212-984-7720. And actually, with questions and comments on this presentation, or for that matter, any construction matter with legal ramifications in the public or private sectors, and I can promise that there will be a response in short order. And please go to WBNY.com for other Washoe Bursting Perspectives podcasts and for more information about the Washoe Bursting Law Firm. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Merriam.